If you've got 90 minutes, then our time is free. The Music Brothers Podcast with Mark, Lou, and Perry. So pull up a chair, have a cold one or two. Have a seat in the shade, you got it made, cause that's what we do. We talk about music, what we listen to. It might be something old and new, barred or blue, cause that's what we do. If you've got 90 minutes, then our time's free. The Music Bros Podcast with Mark, Lou, and Perry. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, and that was Louis Swananoa Colicchio. Thank you, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's Swananoa Lou. <laughs> Swananoa Lou. <laughs> Talked about this. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and guys, this is uh, our Silver Jubilee episode. It's, I thought it was 24. 25. You did one without me. No, no, no! It's twenty-five. Is it's, it really? It's wow! 20, it's Silver Jubilee, Silver guys. Jubilee, wow! Wow! Yep. All right. And and so tonight we're gonna we're gonna talk about a couple of a couple of pretty cool issues. One of them is uh, when bands stop being bands. And yeah. We're gonna talk about some of our our favorite country singers. And also, uh, what have you been listening to? And maybe a couple of other subjects as well. All right. Sounds good. Yep. So, Sounds Mark, when, uh, what, what do you consider something like when bands stop being bands? Um, you know, it made me think of this. And actually, um, I got to give credit where credit's due. Tom Spallone came up with this idea. All right. Okay. Um, but he told me about it. He said, when do bands stop being bands? And I the one thing that's been irking me the past 10, how long has it been since John Entwistle died? But it's been The Who. Because mm. um, I was okay with The Who after Keith Moon. I mean, in the 80s, I was good with them. They put out some good albums. Face Dances was good. When, when John Entwistle died, it became the, uh, you know, the Townsend Daltrey show, to, in my opinion. Even though people love it and they're still playing the music. That's, I think, at that point. They are not, so they're touring now, and I have no wanting to see them. Uh, I did see them a few times with John Entwistle, and of course, they were great drummers. But, the, you know, Zach Starkey was with them. So the Quadrophenia tour, I was fine with all that. But um, now nah, I just don't feel like it's the Who. And, and I give them credit. They do, they put out new material, which that's good. You know, they put out yeah. a couple albums. But to me, it's like a Townsend album with Daltrey singing on it. That's my opinion. So if you don't have those, if you don't have those Entwistle songs, which are always a good, important part of a Who album, those few funny songs, you know. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with you there. Do you think at this point they should just call themselves Townsend Daltrey, or you know the sound, the songs of Pete Townsend? You know, I mean Daltrey's done that. You know, the songs of Pete Townsend, sung by you know Roger Daltrey. But um, yeah. is, is it the, really the absence of more? And whistle or moon or both that make it not the who for you. I think I think it was what you lost one. So you lost Keith Moon and that granted when Keith Moon died, I was really young. But um <clears throat> I didn't hear who fans like when they toured, I didn't hear who fans 
older than me complaining. They were happy to see them. Yeah. I think they were a little angry when they did the 30 uh, final tours, you know, and everyone blew their money saying, this is the last time. And they kept touring. You know, that got people a little more mad. <laughs> but, um, you know, Entersol was a key part from the beginning. But, yeah, once once you lose him, again, you know, maybe it should have been Dolce Townsend. They own the name, though. They're perfectly allowed, you know, hey, they could do whatever they want. Yeah. But, yeah, I just don't feel like I have no – wanting to see them on this tour I got and you. I hate to say that oh and all this vocal issues but you know it's a, <laughs> I, I love Townsend I think he's still a really relevant artist I think he's still writing great music well you know they had to carry on after I mean they were 30 Keith Moon was 32 so they were so young so they yeah. couldn't they, you know, same like with R.E.M. when, when Bill Berry left they, they're just so young they're not just retire then so they had to carry on. But after Entwistle, I agree. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. And, then, you know, and, and again, like, I know people that are perfectly fine with them touring. I know people that want to see them. They call yeah. to who? It's fine. You know, it's just for me personally, nah. <laughs> yeah. Lou, have you got one of those under that category? I do. And it's, you know, I mentioned it before, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it again. Um, Blue Oyster Cult. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, when Albert Bouchard was let go in 1981, to me, and except maybe for the, I mean, I'm a, I was a pretty diehard fan, but I know some people, not many, that have carried on past that and said, well, it's still Blue Oyster Cult. It's the name, you know. You have two main guys still in the band right now, um, but still, as far as music goes, as far as their output and just the, the songs and the way they sounded, it just was never. The same, and the reason being, and not that they weren't without Albert Bouchard being the, the you know, the member that was let go, and the drummer, singer, and he was a, a big writer in that band. Um, yeah. I think we, I think it was a big part of that early sound that they had, which I found so cool because they were an indie band that they had a couple of hits, you know, it was kind of cool. I thought it'd be kind of cool in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't have to go through this weird ringer, you know, so they made album upon album, and, you know. In their later years, they did change record labels when their sales did diminish a lot. But, you know, that peak was uh, in 1981 with the Fire of Unknown Origin album. And yeah. the last, yeah, and the last hit on that album was Vernon um, For You, which was written by Buck Dharma, Donald Roser, and Richard Meltzer, the rock critic, I believe. Hmm. But, you know, but Bouchard, the drummer, he had, he had a lot of material on that album. Um, Joan Crawford, which is one of my favorite BOC songs, that's an Albert Bouchard song. It's a, that's a great song. Great song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think at that point, he, I, he didn't really sing a lead vocal on that album. Um, he did something on Vengeance the Pact with his brother Joe, the bass player. Th- th- he's in there, but he's in backups. But, you know, I think I think the pressure was on the record label at that point. That, you know, he, they liked him more as a backup singer than a lead vocalist. But anyway, but he, he's also got some, like Perry and I were talking uh, last night about it. They have some, he's got some really cool YouTube videos where he just talks about the band, talks about what he's done. I think you've seen some of them, Mark, haven't you? Yeah, I saw one or two of them. They're good. They're good. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, that was the thing. You know, I, I thought they just became a more and more just like a, a routine, like you know, metal band of sorts. They sounded they sounded to me like a, a very local Long Island band. Whereas, you know, they had that New York sound and there is a New York sound. Um, yeah. but but they managed to go beyond that. You know, they're they're fairly international. You know, they could probably play some places, you know, like we, we see these like rock stars we know, like, you know, they were, they had an album in Switzerland that was big. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you know, if we didn't embrace them in the United States, I can still go to Switzerland and Austria or whatever and just, you know, 
get some good money going for the get them through the winter. But but yeah, and as much as I, I love that band, and I, they're they're still kind of cool. Um, hey, how many original members are in the band now? Well, right now there's just two. It's Eric Bloom, uh, you know, the, the main lead vocalist, and Buck Dharma, you know, the lead guitarist and also lead vocalist. And so other... it's the two guitar players that are the original members. What's that? They're both the, the guitar players. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Eric Bloom. I mean, he was he played guitar, but you know, he wasn't. I wouldn't say he's the main guitar player. He played a lot, but you know, at one point it was you know Buck Dharma on, on guitar, lead guitar. Alan Lanier, uh, the late Alan Lanier, was a keyboardist and guitar player. He played a lot. So I guess mm. in a sense, Eric, Eric Bloom was much like the rhythm guitarist. Yeah, yeah. And he played yeah. he played what was known as I, we don't know what it is stun guitar on some of their albums. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's sticking someone's like the you know the headpiece on someone's chest and zap them you know I don't know but it was uh, we just wondering what, what was stun guitar? <laughs> well, it had a, it had a string that you pulled back. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you know you know what's ironic is like you know after the yeah they, a lot of people say after uh, Fire of Unknown Origin, I think they did Club Ninja after that. Yeah, well, no, it was, then, uh, no, it was uh, Revolution by Night was the next okay. record, and th that's the record that had the um. Uh, the new drummer, Rick Downey, and well, this uh, Perry likes the story because I was saying that the first time I went, I went to see BOC, that was in Madison Square Garden, my first time there, and the seats were just it, the seats sucked, and some kid was vomiting in my seat, so I took his, his ticket. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, guys. And, uh, at the garden. Oh yeah, it's like oh come on, man, great. Well, no concerts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know what's ironic though is that after they changed and their sound did change, you know, at some point. Oh, yeah. But then they put out that album that was basically stolen from Bouchard. That uh, I forget the name of it, the one where it was supposed to be Bouchard's solo album. And the record label said, "Let's get Eric Bloom in here. Let's get uh, Buck Darman in here." Yeah, and <laughs> Joe Satriani. But that was the, the Imaginos record. Yeah, and it's a good album. It is it's, a good album. It's interesting, you know. It's um, I, I don't to, to me. I, it, it does sound disjointed to me because I mean, you know, the, to me, it's this Blue Oyster Cult in there, but. It's it's weird because you know they've done some re interesting reworkings of songs, but um, it, it's a strange album to listen to. I, I you know production wise, it was weird at the time when I got it. I was like, wow, a new book. is this Blue Oyster Cult? And then I'm like, who's Chuck Grandy? You know, <laughs> and who's this other? You know, now Chuck Grandy was on Club Ninja. He plays on uh, Perfect Water, I think, which is a great song. So, Mark, <laughs> getting back to Club Ninja, that was like the album after the Revolution by Night, and that was that was the complete new BOC. And yeah. I I like that album. It doesn't get reviewed well, but uh, that and um, Perfect Water and Dancing in the Ruins were were two really good singles. And those were both Buck Dharma songs, by the way. Uh, Dancing in the Ruins. I remember hearing it on WPLJ. WPLJ. And yeah. I played that with my brother Anthony in in a band. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I have to I have to add that these are just our opinions. In other words, these bands carried on. Because you know, members left or then, fired or whatever it may be, these yeah. bands carry on. But it's only our personal opinions. Yeah. When these yeah. bands stop being bands, yeah. and like for instance, I have one here to me, and, and with yes, without John Anderson, yes. And that's just my opinion because of that, because of the voice. Mm. I know yes has carried on, and they've made great records. With these Trevor Rabin guy, right? Mark, you've told me about. Well, when they were, Trevor Rabin was in the band, John Anderson was in the band. It was after they disintegrated, they came back together, and there was 
you know, Yes had about 30 members, so right. they would always get a couple key members back. But then I'm just, just saying in a, in a little sense, like, you know, hearing Foreigner without Lou Graham to me yeah. is not yeah. foreigner from what I need to. You know, what's ironic is that when John Anderson first left the band in 1979, they put out a great album called Drama with Trevor Horn singing. And yeah. it's great. The song, that's the album that has that song. Yes, yes. That, 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 song, that song's called Tempest Fugit. Yeah. And that's a great album. But they were able to survive that. And then, you know, maybe they wouldn't have survived longer if he stayed away. But then they totally disbanded, came back with Anderson. They had with Trevor Rabin and they had owner of a lonely heart so they were a hit band but i agree you know it's it's i can listen to yes with this new singer only because chris squire mandated that they continue at well, he knew he was dying and he said you know please continue he said you want to billy sherwood to fill his shoes when a key a founding member of a band says to continue it's hard for me to say oh I, i'm not accepting them you know it's it's Mm, but yeah. I agree with Larry. I, I understand why most people would say this is not yes. I, I agree. Well, that, yeah. I, that's just my opinion. I, that's all I'm there. Yeah. And I, I wasn't that much of a diehard Yes fan at, when the time that drama album came out. It was like 1980, maybe? 79, 80, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that song, I thought the song was so well written. It was catchy, but it was it was proggy. It was, it was Yes, you know? I mean, yeah. musically. And yeah. Now, his voice wasn't too far from it, but, you know, I, I don't know much of the rest of that album, but you, like you said, Mark, you heard it. You said it, it's a good album in and of itself, though, whether, yeah, it's, and, whether it's that weird little anomaly that is part of the Yes background. Right. But, and, you know, the duo that was on that album, I don't know if you know, the keyboardist was Jeff Downs, the yeah. singer was Trevor Horn. It was the Buggles video yeah. killed the radios. They had already had that hit and they joined Yes. That's yeah. pretty amazing. <laughs> and then Jeff Downs went on to Asia. Yeah. And uh, if he could still do Asia, he would. But he, you know, rest in peace, uh, John Wetton. He died, so they yeah. can't do it. But they were, yes, and Asia were touring together for a few tours. And Jeff Downs would do the Asia set and then the Yes set. Hey, give him credit. The guy was working his butt off, you know. Hmm. Does anyone else want to throw another one in? Uh, I Pink Floyd when Roger Waters left. Uh, to me, I, I heard that with the first album that came out in late '80s. Learning to fly, yeah. To me, it sounded like Pink Floyd, but to me, I, I didn't care. I um, and a couple other things I heard on there. It just, you know, it, it was like you know, I don't know. It seemed like David, you know, David Gilmore, da David Gilmore's Pink Floyd. But I mean, he's got a right to. I think he's got a right to the the name of the I, band I in a sense. I, but I, it, I like for lyric writing, was just everything different. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point because Roger Waters was a lyricist. Yeah, yeah, well, and also the, the vision of the—I mean, that was his vision as a band. Yeah, I agree with you, Lou. I agree. I I'm a Roger Waters guy. I everything Roger Waters does, I've collected everything he has. I mean, if he puts out a, a 45 of him mm -hmm. bourbon, I'm going to buy it. But I had a soft spot for the Pink Floyd when they came back. But after it all was said and done, momentary lips, lapse of reason should have been—it would have been a really good David Gilmore solo album. Because it's a good album, but you're right. It, it's it's slick. The song, the lyrics are all of a sudden about relationships and stuff like that. And, and airplanes. Yeah, and it, you know, final cut. See, to me, the my everyone, you know, everyone has a favorite album. A lot of people would probably disagree with me. My favorite album was the last one with Roger Waters, the final cut, because it was about veterans, World War II veterans. The final cut's a song about suicide. Most some of the most powerful stuff in the world, and right. uh, 
you know, I, I love that album. And then they went to, yeah, David, but David Gilmore had, like you said, he did have, I believe he has a right. So a lot of Roger Waters fans say David Gilmore had no right to that name. Well, no, he did. He, you know, well, they went to court over that. So it's been proven yeah. that year. But you know what? You can now, oh, yeah. everything in the wall. Like, but if it wasn't for David Gilmore, there wouldn't have been a comfortably numb. Gilmore had added essential stuff to Pink Floyd. He was a big part of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and now in the lawsuit, who got the pig, the inflatable pig? Um, I saw the pig at Roger Waters shows and Pink Floyd shows. <laughs> so he got and, the pig. He, yeah. they custody he of the pig. Yeah. Inflatables. <laughs> well, and by the way, I'll be seeing uh, Roger Waters this August in Madison Square Garden with oh, my right. kids. It'll be a family affair. Get my kids to see Roger Waters. Be great. May you have a wonderful time, and may no one be vomiting in your or any of your party seats. <laughs> We've got the first row of the first tier, so no one will be in front of us. <laughs> and, and it's Madison Square Garden, where it's not so going up that they, if they throw up, it's going to go on their feet, not on us. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's so great. for instance, like, can there be a Queen without Freddie Mercury? Obviously, we know there can be, and there has been. But I don't consider. I don't consider. Back, is, can there be a Queen without Freddie Mercury? I don't. It's almost a tribute. Yeah, exactly. Lou's right. Tribute. It's a good tribute. Adam Lambert is great. He does, you know, he does justice. I think Paul Rogers. Yeah, yeah. He was good with them, and he and it was a different band. Yeah, it wasn't Queen, but he did really good with them. I didn't hate him. Um, but now with this Adam Lambert, I I have nothing against Adam Lambert. If you're gonna get anybody to sing like Freddie, it's him. But yeah, like it's it's true. It's a tribute with all the well, not all the original members. We're getting digitized sound here. I hope this comes out okay. Um, I can hear you fine. Okay, because it's coming from Perry's end on me. So, um, so that's a good point. That it's a tribute band. They're not recording any new material. Not yet. No, as far as bands like Journey and other bands that have, uh, you know, carried on with a you know whether a lead singer Judas Priest. Is it tribute then for all those bands, or is it, you know the the thing Perry mentioned? This is very subjective. Um, yeah. Some people might have think Blues or Colt were better after Albert Bouchard, albeit crazy to think that. But um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's but like to me, like Journey, I, I was not never a big enough fan. So there's a guy sound like Steve Perry. Same with Judas Priest. I like a couple of their songs, um, but to me, I, I I don't know. I I guess it is, but it's I guess it's your personal connection to the music, you know. Yeah. Yeah, now, to, to, to me, a journey doesn't. I, I don't know. That doesn't bother me that someone will carry on. Well, but, journey, um, journey is really Neil Sean's band, in my opinion. But so that's a great point. I'm glad you guys mentioned that. You know why? Because journey has recorded some new material now with this new album. Yeah, hmm. and he really, he's in my opinion, he's impersonating Steve Perry on on yeah. brand new songs. Yeah, yeah. Well. He don't. There was another singer in there when Steve Perry first left. They got a guy named Steve O'Gary from Brooklyn, and he also sounded like Steve Perry. He was a little more original to his own sound, but he was good. I didn't knock him. I felt sorry for the guy, and he had he got kicked out because Journey tours so much. Vocalists have trouble keeping up, and I think that was a little bit of Steve Perry had that issue too. They tour constantly, so this guy, poor guy, Steve O'Gary, boom, he was out once his voice faltered. Wow. This guy Arnold Pinnell, I think his name is. He's keep, keeping it up for a long time. God bless him. Good, you know. Wish him the luck. Right, but, but but they're recording new material, so you can be, you know, he he uses Steve Perry inflections when he sings new material. So that's um, I don't know a bit of an insult. Does he wear puffy sleeves? 
I don't know. I don't know. He's very short. He's very short. <laughs> now, you notice that um, I know I let Marky, maybe you tell me. I don't know if you're more. Are you a fan of a journey fan at all? I mean, you know, you yeah, hear I, am. I am. I admit it. Look, okay, it, no, you no, got to no, come no, out no. and say you're a journey fan, and I am. <laughs> um, I, I, his voice sounded a little rougher. Steve Perry's voice sounded a little rougher toward the last couple albums that I'd heard, like Separate yeah. Ways. Even though Sherry is kind of raspy, whereas before, like you know, loving, touching, squeezing, kissing, jumping, drinking, and humping, uh, <laughs> it, it's it sounds more like what, what Rolling Stone derisively called duck throat. <laughs> you know? well, yeah, Lou. I but, mean, look, you know there's I mean? two singers that come to mind related to that: uh, Robert Plant and Ian Gillan. They had insanely high voices earlier in their career, and they yeah. broke their voices. And I think Steve Perry. Combined with Singing High and the Insane Touring, the last album he did with them, they had that big hit, When You Love a Woman. Remember that? If you yeah. listen to that album, he's he's actually raspy on that. Wow. And and he's a perfectionist. Like, you know, Ian Gillen got raspy, but he just made it work. Wow. Same with Robert Plant. Whereas Steve Perry, I think, you know, he was like, oh, no, I can't achieve that perfection. You know? Yeah. He, he yeah. sounded like George Harrison on the Dark Horse record. <laughs> yes. So can I throw one in there? And this one really, yeah, man. this one it. really gets to me. Yeah, this one really gets to me because we were just talking about, like you said, sometimes they replace a replace a singer and they become a tribute band. They're not recording any new material. Oh, but, you're gonna steal mine. I see it coming. Oh, I see it coming. What? No, I'm gonna. So with me, I know this band, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, okay. Has had other guitar players and other singers and this and that, but without Lindsey Buckingham, to me. It's not Fleetwood Mac. I, you know, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And to me, to me, this ultimatum that Stevie Nicks gave the other band members, it's either me, if li either Lindsay goes or I go. And the move that she did by that was, it was a real, if I had to spell it out, I will say, her actions were like a see you next Tuesday. It, it was oh. unbelievable that she would do that. She, she owes her career to Lindsey Buckingham. She and even they see it back if it weren't for Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. And yeah. I cannot believe that she would do that. And he was stunned, obviously, of course, and really hurt by it. I mean, this guy created songs for her from her little two notes on a piano. Yeah. And unbelievable, unbelievable that to, I'm stunned by this because, and not just because I'm a, I'm a big Lindsey Buckingham fan, but that is a low, low blow. That yeah. is like a, a, a witch, a witchy woman. Well, they, they're so close and they still admit they love each other. And because I heard Steve Lindsey Buckingham was on Mark Maron's show about a year ago. He said, we love each other. I'd like to know the reason. Maybe it's because they maybe there's still feelings. And that's why she didn't want him on the, the show. I, I, you know, it's strange. I, I don't know. But the vin vindictiveness, I, I don't know. And, and they knew that because it's the big business that they were going to they were going to the other members had to go with Stevie. Yeah, but it's a business. I just, they would, do you think they would say we need Lindsay, you know, because Lindsay is the reason, in my opinion, why they were as big. Stevie was a big reason, but Lindsay wrote those songs. So I, I guess he's, 
I guess he's outnumbered because, you know, and he's also, I mean, I'm sure he's difficult too. Oh, he is. Yeah. Of course he is. Of course he is. He's got a big ego. I'm not, it's not a derisive thing. He's but, a perfectionist. Yeah. But, but, but for some reason, you know, like maybe they thought to be, maybe he might quit the band, you know, go on tour and quit halfway through, you know, I mean, it's weird because, you know, they, they replaced him with two people when he did, you know, the original split. Yeah. Like Billy Billy Burnett or something, or in yeah. one of Billy Burnett and uh, who's the other guy? Campbell at one point was in there, wasn't he? Mike Campbell. Campbell was in with um, Delany Bramlett's daughter. They had a album out, and Mick said this was too much. He even he admitted it just wasn't Fleetwood Mac. It was um, oh I can't remember her name, but yeah, and, and Mike Campbell, and and it was just a it was a weird album. It shouldn't have been a Fleetwood Mac album. Hmm. So so yeah so that's. That's just how I felt about that, that it's not Fleetwood Mac without Lindsey Buckingham. And I know it was Fleetwood Mac without Peter Green and without Bob Welch, but this is a blow. I agree with you. Totally. Yeah. Well, I got one. What have you got? All right. So I'm going to bring up a band I'm not the biggest fan of, but part of my grown up, right? Kiss. A lot of people, Kiss, it's funny. You talk to Kiss fans. Some will say, oh, the minute they took off the makeup, they changed. Well, no. Kiss made it into the 80s, heavy metal. They were Kiss. Love them or hate them, they were Kiss. Then in the 90s, right, they got the band back together. They put the makeup on. For me, the and this is why I'm not a fan of Gene Simmons, when they replaced Ace Freely and Peter Chris with lookalikes, if you're going to keep the makeup on, they're supposed to get another character. You know? So <laughs> like, that's it. It's a Vegas show now. I, so I think they made it pretty far. You know? wait, Mark, are they, wait, they're doing that now? Yeah, they have Tom. Um, I can't remember the guys' names, but they have someone that, that has Ace Freely's makeup playing guitar, and they okay. have a drum yep. Chris's makeup. They own the makeup. Yep. And that's totally, totally Gene Simmons. <laughs> now, um, now, when Eric Eric Carr was he the the drummer after uh, Peter Chris? Yeah, I think there's Chris Lett was out, and then he may have been right after or whatever, but he's the one who died, I think. Right? Uh, Eric Carr died. Yeah, and I know yeah. Anton Anton Fig played on some records, but. I was wondering, what was it? Eric Carr is the only other drummer that I recognized after Peter Chris. What was his character? What was his? It was no Eric Carr joined after they took off their makeup. Oh, he was a cowboy. <laughs> no, I think he was a wolf or something. Well, he was, he, something he, like he, he was a construction worker. <laughs> I'm thinking of a village people. Yeah, <laughs> that's Wayne's world. Come on, <laughs> he was the Indian chief. <laughs> I hate bringing up Kiss talking about it, but that's just, I, I just think that's like, because it wasn't good. Like, Freely didn't want to leave the band. I have respect for Ace Freely. He he knows what he does. He does it well. He's had his demons. He, you know, he, he screwed up, you know, drinking and stuff, but yeah. they just <clears throat> fired. Like, Gene Simmons was like, you're out. And Peter Chris, you're out hmm. because this is a machine and we got to continue. And the thing is with Gene Simmons, he was on uh, Terry Gross's NPR show once interviewed. She actually uh, kicked him off the show because he was just getting out of control. But he said something on that show that made me punch my radio. I was driving, working in Connecticut at the time, and I'm driving, listening to her show. And he said, Terry, no musician enjoys playing their music. They play it every night only for the money. Nobody likes playing those songs. Do you think Elvis liked playing those songs? You know what? It's up to the performer. Some performers don't like it, but it's a job. But he just brought down every musician when he said that. That made me think, oh, God, Sting hates playing every night. I don't think he does. Uh, 
Jazz, Pat Metheny, he doesn't hate playing every night. So it made me just realize that when you see Gene Simmons playing, he doesn't care. He doesn't enjoy the music. He's just doing it for the money. Hmm. And that was maybe just distasteful, you know. Just what? Well, if there's any consolation, apparently it really hurts to do that now because like you're 75 years old and you're wearing giant spiky lizard boots. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> he'll play hell. wreaks havoc on an old man's back, you know. <laughs> Now, do you do you guys want to continue, or you want to move I, on I to category? One, I, I got a few more. I, I, I oh, let's more. roll. Keep rolling. Right. Um, when Bernard Purdy quit the Beatles, they were never the same. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there, uh, to me, there's no clash without Mick Jones. Yeah, yeah. W- w- was there a clash after Mick Jones? I yeah, know. unfortunately, he did there big was. Audio Dynamite. Really, there wow. Was yeah. Joe Stromer attempted to keep it rolling, and uh, who played guitar? Um, they three piece. Nah, they probably just got somebody else, and you know, and uh, the last album was called Cut the Crap. Uh, you know what I mean, so they, they had Joe Satriani on guitar, right? Yeah, <laughs> and Bernard Perney played drums. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not the same without Topperhead, neither. <laughs> um, when Hootie left the Blowfish, that was just it for me. I couldn't take it. <laughs> He's a country singer. Yeah, you know what? Black Sabbath. They're interesting because we had the recent Black Sabbath resurgence because they toured, but it's just, you know, it was I think that Black Sabbath, when they had they had Ian Gillen after the Dio left, Ian Gillen sang on a great album called Born Again. I love it. When he left, I think that's when Black Sabbath stopped being Black Sabbath. Because in the eighties when metal was big and Black Sabbath should have been big, they were playing clubs, they were playing bars and uh they were just doing albums that had no direction, you know, and they stopped, but they you know, Tony Iommi got smart. He got peace, made peace with Sharon, not Ozzy, Sharon, and they reformed. But yeah, that's I think when they when Ian Gillen left, that was it for Black Sabbath. Hmm. Um, and I didn't know he. Well, that's funny um, because I didn't know he was in Black Sabbath or he was that big a part of it. But to me, Deep Purple is Deep Purple with Ian Gillen. Yeah, uh, you know, Lou, that that's a personal thing with me because you know me with Richard uh-huh. Black, my favorite guitarist. Right, I got to say though, the albums. I love them. Who, but, who's your favorite guitarist? Bitchy Blackmore? Yeah, there you go. Hey, but on. the albums with Steve Morse on guitar, they're pretty damn good. And it's oh, yeah. Ian Gillen, you know? Yeah, you're right. I agree with you. He's a hard, him right. and, and uh, Ian Pace. You got to have that drumming, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And he's, uh, Ian Pace was someone I, I was a Johnny come lately uh, to, to admiring him as a drummer. I mean, I, I like the songs, but they were more about the songs. But when I focused on the drumming, I'm like, man. Yeah, he's yeah. a he's a jazz drummer. Absolutely, behind yeah. the beat, yeah. yeah, behind the beat, but just very loose, very um, very. I say I call it wristy. He's very wristy with his wrist. It's very fluid, but um, the the fills are, the fills are jazzy. Yeah, they are, and his drum solos. You know, most people go get a beer at the drum solo. Even drummers go get a beer at the drum solo. His drum solos. Every time I see in Deep Purple, are great. You know, yeah. really, good. Oh, yeah. it's a good, a good lesson in drumming to me. Uh, you know? Exactly, Mark. Um, it, it's interesting because I, I, I've only heard one drum solo. It, it was in my car, right? Um, but it, I, I don't know the song was in the middle of. But I said, "Wow, this is it's, it was different." But it was, like I said, it's very, uh, it's very technically proficient, but not soulless at all. Um, yeah. But you just, you know, yeah, it, it was almost kind of. You could watch that and learn. Yeah. Some things. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Pacey uh, McCartney's a fan of his. Yeah, he's on yeah. one of his albums. Him and David Gilmore. Yeah, that was a Run Devil Run. Was no, was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great that's album. Good, that's that's a good. That drummer was good too. Yeah, yeah. So I let me ask you guys two bands that, if you agree with me, 
how did you feel about the band continuing after Robbie Robertson? Ooh, that Mark, that is good. Um, to me, I'm I'm in, I'm on that fence with that. I'm on the fence with that because you know a lot of that a lot of the soul of that band was still there. Yeah, I mean a yeah. great deal of it. But um, if, if maybe if Robbie was a singer of note in that band, I might. I don't know, but the writing was definitely writing is obviously was not the same. But mm. I, my my votes for sentimental reasons. I'm going to say yeah, but. Yeah, but diminished, you know. I mean, it, it, like I said, his presence was it. It was it was completely different. And there's 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 some dismal albums, you know. Yeah. Um, High on the Hog, I had that record. I mean, there's some good songs on it. You know, I, this is such a tough call for me. I mean, is that to me, that to me is really not the band, you know? Well, you're a Levon Wait, guy, so yeah, I'm a Levon guy. I, I, I'm too partial. It's, it's like yeah, it, it's, it's, it's it's like disparaging family, you know. Um, but I'm gonna say band with a small B. To me. <clears throat> To me, no band without Robbie Robertson. There you go. And I, I, I'm like Lou because the music was definitely better with Robbie Robertson, but it's a little personal thing for me because my dad talked to uh, Levon. Yeah. And uh, I think they got more of a Woodstock vibe after when they did those albums in the 80s. Like they were, they got more of a connection to Woodstock. Well, yeah. And, uh, Jer- Jericho, Jericho is a really good record. Yeah. That's a John Simon produced record too. Yeah, that was a good album. Yeah. Um, and then the other one, how do you feel about the Stones continuing without Charlie Watts? That's a nah. tough one. Nah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the, the guy <laughs> that playing drums, he's the best guy that could play yeah. because I saw him with Keith Richards. He's a great drummer, but nah. Yeah. 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 Bill Wyman's been gone. Charlie's gone. And, you know, I'm partial because you know, the thing about Charlie was, you know, Charlie didn't have, a, you know, he was one of those drummers that uh, the older he got, he didn't use a backup drummer. Um, but also, you know, he, he, he's just great. He, there was one Charlie Watson. He is still, he'll always be underrated probably yeah. even in death. You know, when, when Neil, Neil died, you know, it was just, you know, everyone knew how great he was, but you know, it, it came even more so, you know, the, the appreciation and his death finally made Rush cool, you know, but um, you know, with, with Charlie though, like he'll, he'll always be underrated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he punched Mick Jagger in the face, and that makes you a, a god. You're a deity. <laughs> that was his drinking face. Um, <laughs> and you know what? Just to, to tail this off, I have three examples of bands that went through major changes but was for the better. Not the better, but they didn't ruin the band. And, again, controversial because – all right, so let's take ACDC. I do ACDC, prefer, yeah. bon, I prefer bon Scott to um, Brian Johnson, but – they continued with, they, they, you know, who else yeah. would they get in vocals? They continued and they were strong, you yeah. know? For the most part, I like them both. Um, there's yeah. a lot of, you know, the ACDC with Brian Johnson, you know, with the cannons going off, you know, with some of that more bombastic stuff. But, um, um, no, but, uh, you know, Shoot the Kill, um, Thunderbolt. Yeah. It's just, you know, these, these are good rock songs. But, yeah, I don't think, they didn't diminish. I don't think they diminished, but it was different. But, I mean, I like the Bon Scott stuff too, you know. But yeah. I'm like, no, I, th- I think that's that's a that's that's a rare but a singer too. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, they got and, um, and back back in black. I think is the second best selling record of all time at this point or something. Oh my god, that's I was, yeah. I was shocked. I was shocked. Not so, not too surprised, I guess. But you know, that, that's like wow, really? I knew it was big, but I didn't think it was like Dark Side of the Moon. But you know, what kills me about that album. If I play it, I take out all the songs you hear on classic rock radio. I don't want to hear you shook me all night long. I don't want to hear Hell's Bells. 
but those songs, the other songs on that album, they're really fantastic songs. Yeah. 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 Um, so the other one was Bon Scott the lyricist, and is Brian Johnston the lyricist? Good point. Could I think be. Bon Scott was the lyricist. I'm not sure about Brian Johnston. All right, because if so, then the band carried on just fine. Yeah, actually, I think I think how how David did the lyrics for them after Bon Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so, so two other bands that went through major changes, and we just discussed one. It, it's funny. Perry brought up a negative, and I'll bring up a positive. Fleetwood Mac handled major changes, and they continued, and I think they did good with their changes. Yeah, well, they uh, up with the last one. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. it. I mean, but you're talking about they lost like a a key member in Peter Green. And again, when I read Mick's autobiography, I'm like, they were like, you know, what are we going to do? And then they had the Kiln House album, which was kind of like, but then when they got um, a guy from California, I'm forgetting his name. Bob Welch. Yeah. I think that led them on the road to where they became in the mid seventies. So I think they handled. And here's the other one. Iron Maiden. They had two albums with their original singer, Paul Deano. And, they lost him, and he was a founding member. They got better with Bruce Dickinson. He's freaking amazing. So I think Iron Maiden handled major changes good, too. Although they... Can we go back to um, Fleetwood Mac for a second? Yeah. Do you, guys, guys, do you think, um, as he was not inducted, as, as he's the only one not inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, do you feel Fleetwood Mac was valid when Bob Welch was kind of at the helm as far as songwriting and, and singing? I liked him. I, I really like that. I, I, yeah, me too. What I've heard, I've liked, you know. I mean, I didn't like sentiment. Like his solo stuff, you know. But, um, Ebony Eyes. From a business standpoint, maybe it's a period that they're embarrassed of. Who knows? I don't, I don't think it's embarrassing. He called himself the transitional songwriter. You know, he was a transition between, you know, the, the classic, you know, and now legendary Peter Green days to the Lindsay and Stevie version. Right, uh, he evolved from sort of a blues bass to a right. whatever it was, a right. lighter, and then to a pop. And yeah, yeah he brought him from Britain, yeah. British blues band to to California, being a yeah, yeah. So, yeah, was, yeah. That, that's right, Mark. He, he was the guy that you know they became a, a, a cross national band when he joined. Yeah, um, I'm curious to find out what the issue actually was. I, and that's weird. Now, do you get now? Do you feel? I feel he should be inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Me too. Well, he, he maybe he refused. Right? You don't no, know. no, no, no. He he got. Uh, it, it was this weird political thing. It's John Wenner, Venner, whatever. But um, mm. all uh, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. he's pro Lennon, anti McCartney, and all right. that. Yeah. Now, m- maybe uh, maybe Tom Hanks said, "No, <laughs> <laughs> not happening. Not on my watch." Maybe yeah. Bernard Purdy said no. <laughs> Well, uh, is that Bernard Purdy playing on Hypnotized? <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> Do you guys want to move on to category number two? Absolutely. Yeah, we should. It's just um, it's just some country singers that we like. We don't have to go on for very long. Yeah. So I have one singer whose voice I'm really fond of. I can't, Barry, I can't make you. Are you home? Hello. You'll be yeah. You put, you just dropped out. Can I? I can hear you, Lou. It, it's Perry for a change. <laughs> oh my God, I'm here. Okay. Okay. So I just want to say that uh, a country singer whose voice I'm quite fond of is Merle Haggard. Never mm. heard. Of him. Yeah. 
I always enjoyed his voice. Absolutely. Comfortable. Right. I'm not going to go into a biography on him. I just want to say I enjoy his voice. Still to this yep. day, of course, it's because it's timeless to me. Yep. Yeah. Anybody want to throw one in there? Uh, you know what? My introduction to country, because I never really heard country, but I was like, maybe it was 1981. I'm a little kid, and I'm up at my godparents up on uh, Lake George and put on a uh, George Jones album. And even though I'm like 10 years old, I'm like, I remember liking it. Like a kid shouldn't like some schlocky country album of strings. But I remember liking that album. And it's the Mark, album. Mark, that, Mark is, is it possible you're a schlocky little kid? I absolutely was because okay, I went well, to Lutheran. It's, it's cool, man. It's, it's what Lutheran school does to you. I can't help it. You know? <laughs> but, um, it was the album that had She Stopped Loving, He Stopped Loving Her Today. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And that was my first. First guy. That was my first guy, but I didn't know who George Jones was, but I liked him. But then eventually I just got addicted to Willie. Willie's my guy. He's he just, makes he can make people cry with his voice, George oh, Jones. Oh Lord. Oh my God. Those and the yeah. lyrics. Just like I to this day, I almost teared up with one of his songs because we've all been through some of those situations. That's what's great about good country. They're they're presenting like you went through this and I'm gonna sing it to you. <laughs> Lou, have you got one? I do. And it is uh, Don Williams. Um, yep, yep. Love um, him. Su such a smooth voice. Uh, you know, he had a lot of hits. You know, I'm not going to go into a big bio. Actually, I'm going to go. I'm going to do a little bit of a biography. Nothing too much. You know, he's a CMA Male Vocalist Award winner, uh, singer songwriter, inductee into the Country Music Hall of Fame. He had 17 number one country hits. Um, um, you know, Big Uncle Don. He was he was known as the Gentle Giant because he was a big dude. But he had that smooth, that croon. He was a country crooner. Um, and he's in the bass baritone range. I love that range. That, that lower, yeah. you get those low, yeah, country notes in there, you know? Um, yep. He wrote a lot of songs, but a lot of his hits were written by other, other people as well. Um, but he was, he's been covered. You know, Eric Clapton is a big fan. Eric Clapton covered We're All The Way. And uh, Tulsa Time is not a Don Williams original, but I think Eric Clapton covered that after hearing Don Williams do it. Um, yeah, but he, he's been covered by Clapton, Johnny Cash, Allison Krauss, Juice Newton, Lefty Frizzell, Charlie Pride, Telly Savalas covered a Don Williams song. <laughs> now, T Telly Savalas put some music out. He wasn't bad. He didn't have a great range, but he, he was another guy who had a real low voice. You remember Kojak, you know, Krager, yeah. you know. But um, but so he had, did some music, and um, so Waylon Jennings actually covered some uh, Don Williams. Pete Townsend end. Do you guys remember Lamb Chop? <laughs> yeah. It was a half puppet. Yeah. Yeah. Lamb, Lamb Chop covered a Don Williams song. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's that same thing. He, he's so relaxed. Um, and as far as country music goes, you know, he, he wasn't, he was his own man. It wasn't this thing where, you know, he had some songs. It was, they were apolitical, but he spoke about and sang about it some ways, kind of like the human condition. And he's yeah. really, really kind of folksy ways. Um, and I, you know, I always liked his voice, but I, you know, and one thing that we've done since we decided to do this category, a country music, I don't call myself a fan, you know, and, you know, we like the older, more, I guess, original, traditional stuff, pre-modern country music, which we could talk about that in a different way, I think, in some ways. But, um, you know, these guys were, were before that, but it wasn't country music, you know, t typical, I, I think, anyway. But um, he was kind of crossover, too, but um, what was the... Um, he had songs, I Believe in You. 
Yeah, uh, yep. That that was a big hit. That was one of his huge hits. And um, uh, you uh, used the word relax. Was that you used the word relax? And when you listen to Don, yeah. it's easy to relax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he was a, he was also an actor. He was in a couple movies, uh, Burt Reynolds movies. Uh, he's in Smoking the Bandit too. He played himself and he performed some music too. Um, yep. Uh, clapping, yeah, clapping cover we're all the way. That's uh, the song we uh, covered. But um, and you know the song "Till the Rivers All Run Dry." Yeah. I, 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 what a great chorus! That, that is I, a beautiful yeah. song. Oh, it's a it's a beautiful yeah. song, Terry. It really, really is. And that was covered by Townsend and Ronnie Lane on the Rough Mix album. Yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, but you know, I went back and listened to a lot, a lot of his stuff, and boy, it's really good. And you know, he, he, he played guitar too. It seemed like he always played sitting down. You know. <laughs> Um, he peed. He, yeah, I mean, he covered a John Prine, Roger Cook song, "Love Is on a Roll," a Towns Van Zandt song. Uh, he did a cover. This is with Emmy Lou Harris for "If I Needed You." Now, that's yep. another familiar song of his, and it's beautiful. Great song. I mean, I mean, Emmy Lou made you know, in my opinion, she made, she made Grand Parsons sound good. <laughs> but if you have Emmy Lou, if you're already a good singer, and you have Emmy Lou, Par, Emmy Lou behind you, it's amazing. Um, yeah, but you know, really cool stuff, and you know, his hits. You know, had some Canadian number one hits. But um, that voice, it is, it's, it's, it's so smooth. It's so oh, soothing. It yeah. 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 But, but Perry, you call him Uncle Don. I don't know if that's a, uh, that's a well-known. No, that's uh, just what I call him. Sober K for him. But that's just I, what I call him. I agree. He's, he's got, the, here's, a, here's a quality. It's uncle, like it's called avuncular. <laughs> it, it, it has that tone, you know. Um, you know, the, the one song, you know, and I believe in you. You know, there's, there's some old-fashioned lyrics in there. Um, he sings about, you know, virginity. It's not as common as it used to be, <laughs> um, but you know it, it's it's homespun, um, but utterly charming. I mean that voice. I mean I love those low voices, those baritone, deep deep rich voices, and he had it, and so smooth. I mean, smooth as silk that guy was. You know, yeah. He, he died of emphysema, and you know there's a picture of the album cover. You know he's smoking. <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> I'll say it always amazes me that these people that can smoke and like their voices stay with them. You know, Sinatra all well, up until a point. Well, I've yeah, got another yeah. one, another voice I like, and uh, he's from Corsicana, Texas, Lefty Frizzell. Ah, he's, yeah. I, he's just got one of those wonder, you know, one of those like top tier country voices. Hmm. Yeah. 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 For yeah. me, I just love Lefty Frizzell's voice. Uh, you know, it's like saying I love Hank Williams' voice as well. Yeah. Well, the thing was like Hank Williams sounded like no one sounded like him at that point. Lefty Frizzell. The same thing, and I, I've heard some of his stuff too. And like you said, I think like that Randy Travis was heavily influenced by Lefty Frizzell. I, I hear you can hear the yeah. influence there without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, they, he had that kind of plummy. It, it's a pl- I, I heard Bob Dylan's voice on um, Nashville Skyline descri- uh, describe this plummy, that rich kind of thing, you know. Uh, <laughs> but the Lefty Frizzell had that. You know, it, it's kind of throaty, but it's yeah, and also. Close. You know, Lefty, you know, so he started out in Texas, you know, so he was really upbeat. You know, I'm not saying it was Texas swing, but it was really upbeat, upbeat. And then later on, he went to Nashville. And when he went to Nashville, it suddenly got smoother and more echoey with the production work when he went to to, uh, Nashville. That's when he recorded like Long Black Veil and things like that. Wow. And, and that's a, it's a great version of Long Black Veil. I was just listening to it today. Yeah. yeah. 
Anyone else want to throw another one in there? You know what? I, I do. And I'm first, Lou, I think you just hit the nail on the head for me. I was telling Perry on the phone the other day that this era of country we're talking about, how it hit me as dr dramatically and it hit me as hard as like progressive music. Sounds weird, right? Why would somebody be right. so just like, you know, like, like, wow, country, that the, the good country. And I think what you said, the, the, the real era of country where it's lost and they don't do it anymore is a song about the human condition. Hmm. And that's the thing, the lyrics, it speaks to everybody. You love that girl, yeah. couldn't tell her, you told her. But then for some reason it didn't work out and you lost all your life and you end up drinking. The drinking thing is a stereotype we always joke about, but it was really, they were speaking of what people were going through. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. And Mark, I, I threw that in the in, in, intro song as well. You know, there's a, drink, <laughs> there's a drinking reference. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just a sad sap. I can't help it. You know, yeah. it's a Stephen Wilson connection. Bing. I got Stephen Wilson on the show. Well, okay. And, and if you take today's country music, if you play it backwards, you don't get your dog doesn't come back to life. Your, uh, your wife doesn't come back and you don't get your job back. You know, but you get a lot of Coors Light to drink. Yeah. You <laughs> and you end up on a beach in uh, Texas and Galveston. And you just like slack the rest of your life. That's the new country. Okay. And, and your pickup truck never breaks down. It's yeah. True. <laughs> it does go so, in reverse, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, in this battle of the new country and old country, I remember back in the you know 90s, like, oh my God, every so often ours would come out. And sound like old country, but then the record label would get them and uh, and and change uh, them, you know. But I'll tell you, there's a newer guy, Jamie Johnson. Have either of you guys heard of him? Sure. No. Nope. He is Lou. Look up on Spotify if you can. Jamie Johnson, that lonesome song, tell, okay. and the guitar album. Those two albums. You. He is a throwback, and you know his lyrics. A lot of his lyrics come from personal experience. And he's been through a lot. He's fantastic. And that he his and you talked about the bass voice, the low voice. Jamie Johnson's got that low voice. If you got a subwoofer on, you're gonna shake the house. <laughs> cool. And and in addition to that, he's just got um yeah, I, I'm going off the uh, off the subject with vocals. In addition to his great vocals, hmm. he has great uh a great band. Um, you know, with the he's got the pedal steel and he's got the great lead player, but it's not chicken picking, it's it's almost like he was. I definitely hear a little Keith Richards. I don't want to say Stones because that ruins it for everybody, but he's definitely got a laid back thing going on. Um, unfortunately, the guy hasn't done many albums. He did two. He did a first album, and then he did two more albums. They did a, a tribute album, but he hasn't done anything in a long time. He's still out there playing. I guess he's trying to find his inspiration. But if yeah, Lou, let's try tr check him out. Check out that lonesome song. Cool. If you like it, check out the guitar album because that's a double CD. That's like 140 minutes of music. It's it's really good stuff. Cool. All right. I shall. And also, Mark gets kickbacks from Spotify. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Sure well. Ready? That was my bank account. Just got it. Nice. <laughs> Lou, what have you? Who have you got, Lou? I got one here, and it's um, someone I got. I've I've heard the songs and. He passed away not too long ago. I forgot when. Uh, he died in 20, uh, 2020 of COVID 19. Uh, it's Charlie Pride. Oh, really? That's what he died? Charlie, what a great voice. Yeah, he really did. He really did. He had a true country voice. And now, you know, my association with country music as a kid, you know, because I was raised on a towel rock. 
and Sinatra and, you know, <laughs> and other things, you know, so, so, you know, come on. Um, but like, I, I went to like in New Jersey, it's a land, you know, you guys are, you guys are still from there. What the hell, what am I talking about? It was a land <laughs> of diners, like little roadside stops with these little booth uh, jukeboxes where I would just flip through them and just look at songs. Like who was, Con- that's why country music, I was one of those, Conway Twitty, the name just cracked me up. And when you guys are going to talk about him, I'm sure. Um, but I'm like, who are these people? Like, you know, uh, Donna Fargo, what do who are these names? They, they just sounded weird to me. And um, I see Charlie Pride. I'm like, you know, Pride. That's, as a kid, that's a weird last name. You know, it's like Charlie Vanity, you know, or something. Charlie Greed. <laughs> um, but then when I, when I found out I, country music, I mean, Hee Haw was my introduction to it via television. It was all white people, <laughs> you know? And then Charlie Pride was black. And I'm like, huh. I go, Hello, uh, here's a black black country singer. Yeah. And I, you know, up in you know, it just didn't make sense. You know, like what? Who are the black cowboys? You know, like you know, the Blazing Saddles. You know, it's like, you know, Cleveland Little played. You know, the, the black sheriff. Like, it just didn't seem like it made sense. Um, it didn't. It didn't look right to me. But I didn't. That was my beyond my my only perception of it. Um, but then I, I saw him on TV. I don't remember anything. But lately, when I, I heard some things on the radio, I heard a Charlie Pride song, and I couldn't find it on YouTube. I wanted to mention it. Uh, it was great. I said, that's Charlie Pride. And it's a country voice. He, he was, you know, it was great. Oh, what, what, kiss an angel, good morning. Kiss an angel, yeah, that, that's his big hit, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's another one. He's one of those baritones. You know, country's great for baritones. You know, if, if you know, rock and roll likes the tenors and a lot of the higher ranges, you know, unless you're a singer-songwriter, it seems like, you know, Dennis DeYoung was not a baritone or whomever. Um, Ian Gillen was not a baritone. But country right. music is, is great for those lower, plummy voices. Um, yeah. But he's one of three African members, uh, African Americans, and uh, members of the Grand Ole Opry. Do you know who the other two are? Do not. Uh, a man named by the, uh, DeFord Bailey, who's interesting. Uh, he had a whole career unto himself, and an interesting guy, worthy of another story. Uh, the other guy is Darius Rucker. Hootie. Hootie. Hootie's in Hootie. the. Uh, he's a, Hootie's a member of the Grand Ole Opry. Mm. Cool. But. Uh, but, uh, I know that. That's uh, great. But uh, Charlie Pride played baseball in the Negro Leagues, and uh, from 1953 to 58, he was a minor league. He played a minor league team until 1960. He was a pitcher, so he had a pretty cool career. Um, he was a part of the Texas Rangers, but um, but his singles. He had some great singles. Uh, the pair, uh, the one you mentioned, uh, "Kiss an Angel, Good Morning," and let her uh, think about her when she's gone. Yeah, uh, he was big in the 60s and almost bigger in the 70s. But this, you know, he had a lot of hits. Um. I listened to the Snakes Crawl at Night from 66, his first single. What a great song, man. I never knew. Um, and like I, I'm I'm lukewarm with country music, but this stuff is this stuff was real. It's real. It it almost doesn't sound like, you know, it's it's not hokey. It's not to my perception, you know. Well, well um, it's a mindset. I mean, you know, yeah. if you're in a mood to listen to country music, you listen to it. Yeah. You know, it's all mindset. Yeah. But um, you know, but yeah, it was it was always it was always country versus rock and roll. And, you know, it's, it's just, it doesn't matter because it's two different things. And country music is part of the fabric of rock and roll anyway. It's part of the fabric of, of American music. You know, you know, the progression from, you know, spirituals that were sung in the, in the fields, to blues, to jazz, to rock, you know. So it's all part of the, of the, of the tapestry. Yeah. But, um, but he, had, uh, he, he did a version of Does My Ring Hurt Your Finger from 67. And I'm wondering, I'm going to listen to it and go back. Is that the same one Buddy Miller covered on one of his albums? I mean, it's the same title, so I'm I'm, I'm hoping it's the same song because Buddy Miller's uh, version is great. And there's another great country singer. <laughs> um, but he did a version of Colijah. Um, like I said, Kiss and Angel, Good Morning. Um, 
a shoulder to cry on. And you, these were a lot of number ones. I think he might have had about 17, maybe 17 number ones. But yeah, great singer. And yeah, pretty cool amongst country music. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't read where he ever had any problems with race. You know, people called him a, you know, a, a colored country singer and so forth and so on. But, you know, he was on the Lawrence Welk show and it looked like he was treated with a lot of respect. Um, unless I, I've seen otherwise. So that, that's a cool thing, you know. Well, given that was given that was the era of civil rights and everything else, but yeah, well, Charlie. I'm Fry. reading something right now about him. It said when "Just Between You and Me" became popular, um, yeah. he was nominated for a Grammy, but no one knew he was black. And oh. they they booked a show, his first large show in Detroit's Olympia Stadium. Now I'm going to read it. Since no biographical information had been included with those singles, few of the 10,000 country fans who came to the show knew Pride was black and discovered the fact only when he walked onto the stage. At which point the applause trickled off to silence. Ooh, wow! He is strong. I mean, yeah. And he said, "I knew I'd have to get it over with sooner or later." Yeah. I told the audience, friends, I realize it's a little unique me coming out here with a permanent suntan to sing country. <laughs> and oh, wow. And that's wow. the way it is. He's, a, you know, I mean, these are people that like, yeah, it's like he didn't cower down from it. No, um, yeah. and not an, um, <clears throat> not unlike when Buddy Holly, the crickets first played the Apollo um, the record, you know, the, the promoters, you know, they sent a tape or whatever. They thought they were black. And so here, you know, these white boys from Texas show up. And they didn't go over first at well, but they went over eventually, which is, you know, mm-hmm. you, know, the, the, you know, those are moments that, you know, music, music heals, music transcends boundaries at times. And absolutely. Things, yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, I just so- want to throw in a couple of uh, country artists that I really enjoy their voice. Cool. I'll throw to Allison Krauss. Yeah. Oh, God. God yeah. And, Angelic. and Dolly Parton. What great yeah. country voices. Yeah. 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 Um, Dolly's got her too. Yeah. Anyone ever hear of Ray Price? Yeah. yeah. He had a smooth voice. I, I can't remember the things he did, but that's 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 a, a name I've seen too. Uh, real smooth. Well, they're known for that too, like Conway Twitty. Conway Twitty, another. Yep. Yep. You know, how about Alan Jackson? I always liked his voice. Very good voice. He's good. Uh, he does stuff with Jimmy Buffett. Alan Jackson straddled the slick country and traditional country. He always straddled yeah. it. He did some good stuff. He did some really good stuff. Then he had some albums where like, oop, it's slick Nashville, but his voice would carry it. He had yeah. a good voice. Uh, and Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw also. Yeah. yeah. I like I like Tim McGraw. All right. Cause shoot me now. My kids hate when I listen to him, but he does have some good stuff. He is. He's he's really good. Well, yeah. I, I just want to uh, say, you know, wish Randy Travis the best because he's supposedly trying to make a comeback and trying to get on the road again. I hope he does. After his arrest, he had a major stroke, too. Well, that's um, what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a sad story. Yeah. What happened? What? Uh, oh, to Randy, uh, what, what happened? Oh, well, he, he got arrested. I mean, he had some problems with alcohol. I mean, there's a famous video. <laughs> um, he's naked. He gets arrested naked. He went to a liquor store naked and you know, drunk as a skunk. Got arrested. Yeah, there, there's a dash cam video of it. And it's, you know, it, it, it's it's sad, you know. But evidently, and after that, he had more health problems. We had a major stroke. And oh, boy. Really, he was really messed up. So, um, well, I, it's, I, ho- I hope he makes a comeback, you know. And like, Perry, I, I agree. I wish him well. You know? Yeah, yeah, and the country music needs people like that back because 
country yeah. music is lost. I think we can agree with it. It's yeah. it, that reminds me of the George Jones video where he was driving his tractor to get alcohol because his license or something it was based on a real story he said you know i can't drive to get to sort of get my whiskey so he got on his uh trail his uh lawnmower so before we move on to the next category i have a, a little side note lou mm -hmm. unfortunately i have another dead drummer who uh mick shrimpton <laughs> that's right what, what uh, his name is Ken rick Cornell. Yeah. And he passed away on May 2nd. I think he was only like 70 years old. He exploded. No. <laughs> they did too. No, I mean, the, he really died. And uh, he played drums on Mickey. Uh, he played drums on that big hit. That's Mickey. right. Yeah. yeah. Tony, Tony Basil. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's funny. Hey, can I make another country singer? One of my favorite country songs. Sure. Tom T. Hall, Little Baby Ducks. <laughs> if you don't like that song, you are a cynical, <laughs> cold hearted, negative bastard <laughs> whatever bitch bastard i don't care yeah, he had a great voice he did almost almost like uncle don it was on those smooth soothing voices yeah but that, that that song it's 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 so quaint you know it's a corny sure it is but man he pulled it off um, yep. you know i love you too you know come on that's all it is i love onions so, hey, hey Perry, can I just break the rules and bring one more country singer in? Well, they're not breaking the rules. We've okay, got yeah, uh, you're the principal here. Okay. You're, 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 you're afraid, you know. Um, we know, uh, but Mark, Mark, isn't Perry the creator and producer of the music world? <laughs> Absolutely, and he also is—he's the creator. I don't know if you know of the Odd Couple. He actually gets residuals. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, um. There was a guy in the 80s and 90s. I don't know if you guys ever heard David Ball. He had a hit with I Got a Thinking Problem. That was a great song. And he was in the 80, late 80s, early 80s, when country was totally, totally lost slick. He was the one guy that had like a retro sound. And I worked with somebody. I worked with a guy named Kevin who, uh, Kevin, if he put a guitar on, he could sing. 90% of the Willie Nelson catalog. He could just sit and play. He was a great musician, looking to catch up to him again. But he turned me on to David Ball. He's like, there's hope in country. So that was one of my favorites. And he wasn't, hmm. it's not that he was so much original, but he wrote good songs and they were throwbacks. But it lost him his contract, I think, because he didn't want to get slick, you know? Think yeah. and problem. Look it up. You'll like it. Cool. Cool. So one more. Uh, also, uh, what? Go ahead, Lou. Uh, Gene Clark. Gene Clark. Gene Clark, great country singer. Great yeah. rock and roll singer, but he wrote, he wrote some great country music. And I, I, I'll throw Raul Malo in there as a modern guy. Oh, he's great. Yeah. I love Raul Malo's voice. Yeah. I listen to his verse, uh, the Mavericks verse of Operator Number One. Mm -hmm. oh, I like it. I like it better yep. than Graham's. I know that's sacrilegious. I don't care, but no, it's, it's not sacrilegious. It's got it, a great it, voice. it is. It's, it's a great interpretation. Um, yeah. You know what? Because the emotion. Graham, Graham sang it the way he sang it, but but Raul sang it like a singer. A and, sports singer, yeah, or whatever it's called. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. And, yeah, and and I mean, it's not it's not sacrilege. I mean. <laughs> What a tribute to you know say this is a wonderful song yeah yeah I'd like to record it right yeah and uh, Perry I think they um there was a concert usually well, yeah I don't forget me an album or, or you you saw it too there, there was a concert for the uh, Grand Parsons thing but you know the Grievous Angel album and stuff like that and other yeah. things but yeah he did a live version of it too and there's other people doing versions 
of Graham's songs. And it, it's, it's amazing. Like you said, it, it's, it's, it's a tribute and it's a beautiful and worthy, worthy tribute. And even rhythmically, um, the, the Mavericks version, it's very different. I love the drums on it. The intro of the drums, it's this weird, almost a Latin beat because they got that feel in them too, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. But yeah. That, that voice, you know, I, I, I played some uh, Maverick stuff at work one time and people were like, is that Roy Orbison? I'm like, yeah. no, but you know, that, that, sure. It's an influence and stuff, but they, they love, their own man. Oh, love the Mavericks. Um, yeah. They did a great cover of the air that I breathed. Did you ever hear oh, that? Hell yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I've heard all of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, Perry, per, you spun me the Raul Malo today record and the Mavericks record that has the Hollies on it. Um, yeah. I want to know. Yep. So one other little thing before, before we move on to the, what have you been listening to segment? Um, Mark, uh, Neil Sean has sold some of his guitar collection. Really? Yeah. And uh, he raised $4.2 million. Not for charity, for himself. For himself. So he had a 59 Les Paul. Somebody bought it for $350,000. Wow. Which is, of course, ridiculous. He had a 1977 Les Paul. Somebody paid $250,000 for it. <sighs> so that's just that's just my pet peeve about these things. But okay, uh, I'm done. Thank you for letting me. Uh... You know what? You know, Perry, someone that could really take off and play that guitar and, and really shine and discover his inner guitarist with a great guitar will never be able to play the guitar because someone who had the money and I get it. We're a cap, you know, we're a capitalist society, but that stupid journey song or whatever, like who cares, you know? Right, hey guys, actually I've been buying all those guitars. It's me. Wow. Uh, I, I'm buying it and I'm flipping them like pancakes. I'm making so much goddamn money. <laughs> well, I, I thought it was Terry with rock and roll dreamers that want to, that want to play guitar, they want to please be the best they can be. Money, 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 money. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. So, guys, what have you been listening <clears throat> to? Um, uh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, uh, Mark, that CD you sent me, the Richard Thompson CD. Yeah. Uh, the uh, live at the uh, Celtic Connections. Uh huh. Or is it Celtic Connections? It's Celtic Connections if you're in America. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, Celtic Connections if you're in <laughs> Excuse me. It's it's a great concert. The sound is great. Um, I agree. That drummer is great. He's a great rock and roll drummer. When his eyes roll up in his, do you see those points where his eyes roll up in his no, head? I, I have not seen that. No. You know, oh I'm my god, him, he's great. The house. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it's a nice simple kit he's got. Um, the, the sound there is is really wonderful. Excellent. That's from 2011. Okay. And I love that it's in Scotland, and you got that one lady yelling at him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it, and he's yeah. great with the audience. He's yes, he is. <laughs> he's like, I mean, he goes, it's you, isn't it? Yeah, it's you, isn't it? Um, and the band is interesting because you know the two guys when he's first seen it, they're playing acoustic guitars, but they're multi instrumentalists. Um, yeah. Very, very, have you seen the CD or have you seen any of the concerts? I don't know that I have. Okay, well, it's it's the Richard Thompson band, so it's a uh, one, two, three, four. It's a five piece band: drummer, Richard Thompson, and guitar, of course, and vocals a bass player, and these two guys that are on either side of him are multi-instrumentalists. They play like reed instruments, horns, acoustic guitars. It's, it's, I said, that is really frigging clever. Um, yeah. 
and it fits the music because you know Richard, you know, you know Richard Thompson's music. It's it's rock, but it's got this folk and, and some you know Celtic and other English like you know folk as, medieval aspects or something. And it's yeah. an interesting mix, and I'm not an aficionado of his music. Um, I know he's one of Clapton's favorite guitar players. I know that, so there you go. Um, but he's good. He's not slick. Uh, I can't. I don't know if I'll describe his style, but it's it's understated in a way. But you know, he plays. He's you know he's very active during all these songs. But the music was beautiful, and you know he's got one of those voices. It's the singer songwriter voice. I call it. It's not yeah. the voice of the rock star. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's, yeah. Yeah. He, he's not um, lacking. You know, like Mark Knopfler is an interesting case where you know Mark Knopfler has a very limited range. That guy can't hit a lot of notes, um, but he does what he does. It's his delivery and it's the sound, and I think it's beautiful. Um, Richard Thompson, he can sing, but it's understated. But, you know, he was a, was he an original or if not, I'm not sure if he was an original member of Fairport Convention. Yes, he was. He, he, he was. Absolutely okay. was, yeah. And, that, and he's As part Perry of the... call the Fairport Music Convention. <laughs> and I think they threw water balloons out of, out of winters and had hookers and did all kinds of crazy rock star stuff. Um, but yeah, he's a very respected musician. His introduction by whomever that guy was, basically said, you know, he's one of, and as far as Scotland, wait, is he Scottish or is he English? Well, he's in, he's from England, but he's Scottish descent. And Lou, I got to tell you, he came from that, that, that Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, Albert Lee, whoever. He is probably, to me, the most British guitarist. Like, yeah. the, all the other guys are blues, and they, they hooked up. On, they're, they're playing like he, Americans. He, he doesn't yeah. play like an American. That. Not at all. Yeah. And and a couple Fairport Convention albums where they're doing like a there's some connection with French music. I don't get it so much. Yeah. I haven't done my research, but they do a few French songs that are connected to the Scottish thing. And yeah, it's it's a it's a very European sound. And he's got that but he's got that strat sound, which I love a raw strat sound. Like Jeff yeah. Beck gets it, you know? And um great sound on that. I, I love and it. I always but, say like there's a certain that the the pickup he used, I had a Stratocaster for a while. Um, he plays in the, I don't know which ones they, which, which pickups they correspond to. He plays with the pickup selector in one of those more forward positions. It's, Mark Knopfler does the same thing. I don't know what, I don't know what the, you know, the name of that. You've got a Strat, you tell me. The next pickup? I don't know, Perry. It's, it's, I think, I think so. I think it's the one, well, close, it's the one closest it, to the neck. Yeah, so you get the neck pickup, which gives I'm you a, a blue percent. But if you have the, the, uh, the, the click in between the, the back pickup and the middle pickup, and it's like it, it gives you a twang. You're yeah. more like a Mark Knopfler or Eric Clapton in the late 70s, that yeah. clean sound. Yeah. But um, when you get to distortion, you get it to the neck pickup, and you got that warm, bluesy sound. It's, it's oh, man, it's great. The thing, the thing about Richard Thompson to me is his approach to the instrument. And when, when, I, hear, when I see him play, it's like, I, I want to rock mm. mm. Yeah, I agree. He was playing with a thumb pick on some things, like a big thumb pick. Mm -hmm. um, he is an interesting guitar player. Ha has he ever had anything like close to mainstream success, like a song? Um, well, him, him, and his wife, him and his uh, wife, did a bunch of they had, yeah. they had, yeah, Wall of Death, I think, was a pretty decent hit for them, him and his wife. Okay. And uh, Shoot Out the Lights, that was a hit for him, too. Hmm. You know, I, I got to say, Mark, um, it was thank you by the way and really enjoyable and it sounds great um i have i have a modern tv with an older dvd player so <laughs> when, when i watch a dvd like i know it's like they, the picture is not great but the picture and the sound and it's a really really good the sound especially it is. 
was so clear, so clean, and just right on, man. It, you know what? I was watching it myself for the first time, and I was like maybe uh, a, a bottle and a half into my Chardonnay, and I saw that scene where, like, the drummer was, and I love Richard, but the drummer was just like, and I went, I'm sitting there with my wine. I'm going, Lou's got to see this freaking yeah. drummer. <laughs> you know? So that's the dangerous thing about Amazon. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah, or, yeah, <laughs> click. It's so easy. They have my credit card. Um, yeah, well, I, I noticed, though, you know, like, his drumming, it, it's simple in a way. It's not overdone, but I was, you know, just watching his integration between cymbals and tom-toms, like, and, like, usually you'll play a cymbal, a hi-hat or a ride cymbal through the verse or the chorus. He's switching the tom-toms to, like, cymbals, and, you know, I, I like to do that, too, sometimes. So I said, you know, he's almost as good as me, you know. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, no, he, he's really good. I don't know his name, but um, I think we'll find some other things he does. He's and, done some. And, he was in some big kind of kind of established bands before he joined Richard, I think. And but, the, uh, the other two guys were, were really impressive. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, so and the I, audience was impressive when they were yelling back at him in between the songs. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. When, when you go see Richard Thompson, unless you got some just curiosity or a guess, you are a fan. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not yeah. something you know. Like so and so is playing at you know the, the Velvet Arena or whatever. So, but no, this is something you know. It's not a fluke that you go see Richard Thompson, unless it's a one-off thing you've heard. You know, like I, I should have seen Uncle Tupelo back in the day in New York when they were a half hour away, but I never did. What's so, wrong with you? You should have. I know, you know, I know, Mark. You know, it's weird. I, I'm not big on crowds. You know, <laughs> I'm not big on crowd. I'm not big on having having too many people around me. Um, I hear. Yeah. That's why I go see Zebra because they don't have many crowds. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's plenty of seats around. Oh, that's great. Right, what have you been listening to? Well, I, I reconnected with a with an album by, oddly enough, Fleetwood Mac. Ah. The Tusk album. I listened to all 20 songs on the Tusk album. And I was only familiar with, of course, the radio songs, you know. And uh, But I listened to this album is absolutely brilliant. In my opinion. Tusk. Yeah. Now... Yeah. Lindsey Buckingham, he wanted, he didn't want to do Rumors 2. Warner Brothers wanted Rumors 2. That's exactly what they wanted. Yeah. He wanted to do something that sounded nothing like Warner at all. Yeah. And that's, that's what he achieved. And he, of course, he was the motivation behind it. So listening to the whole record, Christine McVie has some great songs on this record. Great songs. Yeah. Lindsey Buckingham great songs and i mean his songs are upbeat they're happy it's nothing like rumors the only songs on the record that are like rumors of course no surprise here are the stevie nicks songs mm -hmm. she's got a song on here called sarah and at six minutes and 22 seconds and probably edited for radio down to over four minutes the stevie nicks songs are the long long songs five minutes here six minutes here, you know, but the Lindsey Buckingham songs, they're very fast, they're very happy, they're very upbeat, they're very, they're very minimal in a sense, too. And there's a great song on the record called Brown Eyes, written by Christine McVie, Peter Green played guitar on it. Huh. Yeah, it's a very, very nice song. So reconnecting with, with this, I've I've heard of this record for you know from forty years ago. I only ever heard like three songs from it. So listening to the whole thing, 
it's like discovering a brand new record and it is in my opinion it's it's almost like a, like a beach boy it's, you can hear the beach boy influence in there you know the yeah. brian wilson uh not after pet sounds but was the one after pet sounds the failed smile the failed yeah. smile uh, record you can hear all of these in there with the lindsey oh. uh, so yeah so fleetwood mac tusk um, great, great that, that, album, that album's great and um i like sarah i think it's a haunting song it's really haunting i could see a witch flying through the air to that song but um she stole like, it <laughs> but mick said in his autobiography he likened tusk to then play on because jeremy spencer i mean sorry peter green took charge of fleetwood mac for then play on and they did something totally different Lindsey Buckingham took charge. And Lindsey said to Mick, always his favorite Fleetwood Mac album was then Play On. So it's a connection there, and it's, it's a fantastic Fleetwood album. Fleetwood likes the record, yeah. But, of course, the record company considered it a failure. I mean, it sold, I forget the sales. Well, and the it sold $10 million. Yeah, for a double album, that's four. Guys, you're, you're colliding. We, we got we to gotta chill out here. Um, okay. So Tusk sells 4 million records. It's considered a failure. I mean, who wouldn't love to sell 4 million records? Right. Yeah. Do you think maybe they're doing some divide and conquer maybe with, you know, Stevie had a lot of songs, but, you know, Lindsay basically produced the album. Um, Now, I've heard cuts. um, Our friend in Knoxville, Sotmitter's thing, is a big fan of it. He listens to the Lindsay cuts. Is there anything on this album that you'd call filler that could not have been on there? They could have had a better song on it. I'm there's not- a, there's some records on there which some people might consider Lindsey Buckingham solo songs. Hmm. Well, well, there were some on there, but I'm saying, is there anything quality wise? An objective opinion, you know, the the Beatles. Um, Tusk is a double album, isn't it? It is. It is. There's so, twenty so, songs. So, yeah. so the White Album is a double album. There's filler on it. Is there anything you would consider filler? Whether it's a solo album, I don't care whether it's a solo record. Who do what? Is there anything on this record that's considered you would consider filler? Well, there's yeah, there's bound, bound there's bound to be yeah there's a, there's a, you know there's a couple of uh, couple of things that some people might consider filler, but it, it's the opposite of rumors. So therefore, yeah, well yeah, it, I I don't consider it like that because it's it's a complete one eighty from rumors. Right, like some people might say, what makes you think you're the one to be filler, because it's kind of a quirky song. And um, they're using a tissue box for the drum track, I think, on that song. But is it filler? No, I love the song. So a Rumors fan would say it's filler. But mm-hmm. you and I might say, hey, that's a great song. And it's, it's Lindsey Buckingham. So that, that's what I, I listened to the whole record. Uh, no, the record as a whole, in its entirety, how, how do you rate it? Uh, if you get like A, a to F. You know, or A plus. I mean, is is it worthy of an A? Is it? I love it. I okay. love it. it. Yeah. You know. You know what I'm going to say? I give it an A plus for the reason you don't want to give anything a perfect rating. But like Harry said, they came off rumors where the record company was wanting rumors too. And how, and how could you top that? I mean, that, that's a lot. Yeah, and the fact that they did what they did, like Perry said, it's like. Give them an A plus for the fact that they said "f you." We're going to do what we want. It mm-hmm. still sold for a double album. That was oh, yeah. a amount of albums sold. Well, 
it's it's not a failure. It's not a failure at all. It's 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 not fair to like you know have to you know, your next record has to sell you know fifteen million copies. It's like every business model where you know, every year you're supposed to grow four percent. If you don't, you know you you close up doors and you fire everybody <laughs> instead of instead of changing your game plan or whatever. You know. It's but not, the thing is, Rich Lindsey Buckingham being being an actual artist that evolves. Yeah. He didn't care about, I mean, you know, of course he got rich from rumors, but he wanted to evolve from rumors. Sure. Now, I don't know that anyone else in the band, they would have been happy to do a rumors too. I, I, you know, but Lindsey Buckingham was the driving force for this and, record. And, and I believe Mick Fleetwood has gone and said, he thinks Tusk is a great record. He does. He absolutely, it's one of his faves. Yeah. Uh, we got some digitized sound going on here. Not me. So, so that was me. Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, that was me. I'm, uh, Fleetwood Mac, Tusk. All That's right. What I've so, been listening to. I'll tell you, uh, if I could say, I got two things. I, I have something new, and I have something old that I didn't know about. So I'll start with the old that I didn't know about. Um, I was reading the Glenn Johns book that Perry talked about, and it's an amazing book and he produced or engineered the Ozark mountain daredevils. So I listened to, um, it'll shine when it shines their second album. Didn't know that Jackie blue was of the Ozark mountain daredevils. Great song. Yeah. He needed the money. Oh, <laughs> but the, the, what got me about that album was the first album was done in London, but this album, they said, we want to record it in the Ozarks. So they mm -hmm. recorded it in a, in a, log cabin the wooden house and here glenn johns from england flies to the ozarks you know and Was they told the in arkansas or missouri yeah. uh missouri missouri and um he says in the book he says as an aside they said if you go into town if you go into one of the grocery stores always go back to the same one because there's two grocery stores. The families hate each other. It's like the Hatfields and McCoys. And if they know you go into one and you go into another, you're going to be in trouble. It was like that. It's like, so here's an English guy, you know, <laughs> but um, the album is great. It's and, I, and it's weird that Glenn Johns would be into the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, which it just has makes me have more respect for him. The, the thing he, he heard Jackie Blue, he rearranged it, I think. Um, yeah. He did some things, but he heard that song like, same thing with the Eagles when he heard them sing, you know, uh, there's the stars on the southern. He goes, that's the sound. So, yeah. you know, Glenn Jones gets a beat down from Glenn Fry on the Eagles documentary. But he also said, you know, they finally and if you hear a lot of the earlier things and when they were playing in Colorado, you know, the Eagles I'm talking about, they didn't gel until he got a hold of them. They did not. Um, mm. So he gets he gets a bit of a discredit from them for the way he recorded them, because, you know, to be fair. Don Henley is not John Bonham, and he admits it. Um, so the recording, they, they were just worried about recording techniques as opposed to the way he was presenting their music. Um, but he heard Jackie Blue, and he said, that is the, uh, that is the sound. And what's cool about it is that the drummer sings it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? After reading the book about how he records drums, I'm very attuned now to when I listen to Glenn John's engineered albums yeah. with the three mics. The album sounds really good. Yeah. For an album recorded in the middle of the mountains, in in you know in a in a log cabin, it sounds freaking phenomenal. It's just yeah. really good a sound. Now, Glenn Jones has a he has a, a known technique that a friend of mine tried to reproduce in his studio uh, a while back here. 
um, you know, it, it, the, the, there's no close miking of the drums. It's there's done, you know, it's it's acoustically where it's it's there's undynamically where there's a drum overhead. There's two drums on either side of, of the kit. So, but you're supposed to play with some authority on it. Um, but you know, like you know, not, I don't. I'm not, I'm not a proponent of having to necessarily beat the drums to death to get a sound out of it. It's an instrument that's supposed to have a bounce, and it, the, each drum has its own voice. So my theory is that you don't have to hit it hard or ridiculously hard to make it project. It's not the nature of the instrument. I mean, um, you can for various effects, but I could see where the Eagles would want to do some close miking, especially if you're a singer. You know, Don Henley was singing the lion's share, and you cannot sing. I don't know. I, I don't. I can't. You know, beat drums heavily while singing delicately. It's too much right. of a contradiction. Yeah. If you have to do it live, or you know, they record live too. You know, but um, but yeah, I mean, and Glenn Johnson, his career speaks for itself. But but yeah, Ozark Mountain Daredevils. That's an interesting, interesting project. Oh, it's a great album. Yeah. I mean, I really like them. Listening to it, and I'm like, here's an old recording that I should have known about. So that that category, old recording that you missed. I didn't know anything about them. Yeah, right. never listened to them. So I read the book. So that, uh, that band's on a par as far as like hit singles with, with Pilot, with Magic. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It could have been. It could have been the same band in a lot of ways. Maybe Glenn Johns produced that. Maybe. Um, but you know, they're obscure. Now, were Ozark Mountain Devils a one-hit wonder with Jackie Blue? Uh, yeah, because they they um, Glenn Johns had a big blowout with their manager because he allowed all the different members to contribute music. And yeah. so it kind of like they had different kinds of music on the album. The manager was like, no, we want to do country rock, you know? Uh, so he had a blowout. He left. He said, you know, Glenn Shans is very stubborn. If you, you know, if he doesn't agree with you, he's out. So after that, I think they kind of like, they didn't have any more. I, I was reading their uh, thing on Wikipedia and yeah, they didn't have many uh, hits after that. Um, now that's that they were a bad band. They had good music, but uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, excellent great. album. Great. Excellent album. So, the other one, let me just throw in a second one, a new one. Johnny Mars latest. It's called Fever Dreams One through Four. Fantastic. Fantastic. Seventy two minutes. Seventy two minutes of just very dramatic, very dramatic music, but awesome. Highly advised. But you can't listen to it in one sitting. It's like hmm. listen to four songs at a time. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not a big Smith fan. I'm like, I'm not more ignorant of them except for a couple of things i've heard so but but i've heard things about him as a guitar player i think robbie robertson wanted him to play in his first solo record i think on, really uh, i think so yeah wow. well because he just know, heard he was a hot guitar player i don't know if you ever heard anything he played you know um, johnny Moore, like the thing with him is his sounds it's um it doesn't to me it doesn't sound like the smiths i mean there's this the guitar sound sounds like the smiths but the songs don't um, but this album is like, he, he recorded, like he put out four EPs during the whole COVID lockdown. So now he's got like one full album. That's why it's called Fever Dreams 1 through 4. Uh, liked it. I really did. It's, cool. it's like, again, like we were saying, what's your mood? Sometimes you're in the mood for country music. Sometimes you're in yep. the mood for dark, dramatic music. That's the album. <laughs> it depends where your head's at. Yep. Now, yeah. I, I heard something recently and uh, Perry and Mark, I want to know what you think of this guy. We, we, we've been speaking about him lately. Because he's huge. Uh, what do you think of Phil Collins as a drummer? And the reason I'm asking this is because I heard some Brand X on the radio on Sirius. And I'll tell you what I think. But um, you guys, Perry, you know, I, I know you're not a big fan of Genesis. I, you know, you like Genesis, but you know, I don't think you're a super fan. Mark and I think are more into it. But what do you think of Phil Collins as a drummer? Uh, Phil Collins as a drummer when they were in Genesis with Peter Gabriel 
I thought he was fabulous drummer. As um, far as you know, any of like the things after that when they went more pop, yeah, it it, be, it to me it was almost faceless drumming. It didn't really matter who was sitting back there. Okay, um, yeah, because there, there's things like you know, uh, Billy don't lose that number. I, I hate that, but uh, you know, the song "Missed Again," which we were talking about last week, I like the drumming on that. You know, that's very R and B. But anyway, um, Brand X is something you would not know. It is Phil Collins and uh, the DJ. Um, What's his name? Uh, Earl Bailey on XM. Mm -hmm. Earl Bailey. You talk about baritones. This guy's got the he's got the greatest radio voice of all time. I love. He does. I have to turn my speakers down. He's like Mr. Bass. You know, like anyway. Um, he was talking. He goes, guess what? He goes, that was Phil Collins on drums. And man, I mean, apparently said he was fantastic. Even more so. Um, you know, I think he's self-taught too. Um, but I mean, this guy, like, wow, with chops, chops deluxe. And, you know, that kind of music is, is weird. You know, uh, jazz fusion to me is weird um, because I can listen to it sometimes. To me, a lot of that stuff is mood music, like a lot of, you know, um, indigenous folk music. I have to be in a mood for it. And, you know, like, like a lot of things, I guess. But um, this was something I'm like, wow, I don't know who the other players were. But I know Brand X had different incarnations at different times. But I had a feeling it was Phil Collins. And, yeah, man, that was before Genesis, too, apparently. Well, actually, really? so. Yeah, yeah. To deal with Brand X, yeah, he um, he cheated on Genesis, according to his autobiography. He was cheating on them, playing with Brand X. It was like 76, 77. Oh, so it was mid seventies. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was okay. yeah. It was after Peter Gabriel left the band, and um, I think that Phil was the early times of like he felt limited by Genesis. He wanted to branch out, and um, he got involved with them and. I, Lou, I think, in my opinion of, of Phil Collins, I think he's one of the best drummers ever. I know even you listen to some of his pop stuff. He's just a great drummer. I agree. And that, that Brand X, though, it was like a, a level above. And I have all the albums that he did with Brand X. He only did like, I think, three albums. And then he, he said, uh, calling it quick, quits, guys. And then he went on to a solo career. But I think it was just him spreading out. Like Genesis, like... You know, Prague is progressive music. You kind of feel trapped sometimes. Like you're playing, you got to play the same thing every night. So yeah. if you're playing Supper's Ready, you're playing the same thing every night. Whereas Brand X was a, like you said, a fusion jazz thing where he could stretch out. And, uh, you know, I, I, and he's, he's playing on it. It's just phenomenal. It's out of this world. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> cool. And uh, something else I've been listening to recently, um, I unearthed my old Tascam 414 four-track cassette recorder and in mine and perry's musical background we recorded a lot of stuff and i have a lot of stuff on cassette and i found a milk crate in an old closet where, where a place i used to live in barnersville <clears throat> while most of the seeds were empty i found a, a little cassette uh case full of some relics and some gems so uh, it was a thing called the mountain avenue jam where when i lived in westwood on mountain avenue perry myself tom griffin and my roommate steve flood did a virtual jam with all electronic instruments, um, electric drums, <clears throat> excuse me, Paranoid playing through like Behringer or Line 6 guitar boxes going in. Anyway, we, it was no, nothing acoustic except for our vocals. And on it is one of the greatest country songs ever written. And it was written by our friend Perry Dedovich. And, you know, Perry has a, a nickname, uh, another name, it's called Buck Townsend. <laughs> so maybe this song was written by Buck Townsend. It's called, That's When My World Came Crashing Down. That's when my world came crashing down. Perry, it's a great country song. You Don Williams to... would sing it. 
Yeah, well, I, I sang it on this, and you know, it's uh, I'm singing it in a low baritone, <laughs> so maybe maybe that's what we're doing. But um, Perry, it's a it's a great song. Pat yourself in the back. Hats off to you. Um, it's, well, you know what? If you can get it to me, and uh, I, I will, I will. We'll, we'll play it on our radio show. Now you've got a country music convention on this, my friend. Do you, uh, lyrically, do you know what it is? <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a cliche you mentioned. <laughs> Here I am in my pickup truck. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I bring good news and bad luck. <laughs> it's like therapy to me. Yep. <laughs> um, and a bloodless coup. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, so yeah, so Mark, what I did is, you know, I, I found some an old. Um, uh, old uh, some cassette tapes and i found one of my uh band with my brothers uh, my brothers uh todd and anthony and we're called philocinium and it, it was uh, our version of coin evil nine i'm gonna get the stuff on city it's it's not bad it's not bad um i'm trying to do my best carl palmer and i did the best i could not bad not bad all right um, lou i gotta ask you yeah. did you did you have the tempo go up and down because carl palmer is known for the tempo speeds up, then the tempo speeds down. Have you ever noticed that with his recordings? <laughs> yeah, I'm a fucking metronome. <laughs> Sorry, no, <laughs> no I, I, I like a lot of Americans. I'm I'm conscious of speeding up, um, but I, I'm good at catching myself when I do when I when I do do it, um, pretty much. But I think the tempo. I mean, it seemed fairly consistent. I didn't notice anything. But there's a couple of original. There's an original song me and my brother wrote uh, called "Kill the Lights." It's just some funny. It's a, definitely a stroll down memory lane or sewer, depending on what you want to look at it. Um, but there, there's some. There, there's a blue. We do a Blue Oyster Cult subhuman. Um, um, Blue Oyster Cult cities on flame, which I sing. That's uh, hysterical. But yeah, so that, that's uh, so I've been doing the, that. Um, Richard Thompson CD and just some random stuff that I heard on the radio, and that I've unearthed in my um, my quest for uh, for new things to do and. You know, and on old some old tapes that Perry and I, you know, we we're talking about this, these jam sessions we did at my old apartment. Uh, some of the tapes got lost. Some of the, one tape ended up in someone else's hands, um, but but this one I have, and it's it's from 20, 20 years ago, almost twenty years ago this summer, and it's amazing how, uh, you know, I think there's some good songs on it. Uh, Perry, there's a live version of Part of a Slacker. That's another another Perry Dedovich original. Well, time, you know, time flies. It's, time uh, flies. We're at, we're, we're, we've done another Tonight Show, guys. We're at almost right. 95 minutes. All right. You know what? I know we're at, we're at time, but I just say, when's the Perry box set coming out? Because there's a ton of material. <laughs> I will let you know because I've got it all. Oh, man. <laughs> it's good. It's good to, Perry, I'm telling you, Perry, Perry's the reason I got back in the country. You know, he got me back into it and... It was like, I was like, when Perry met me, I was like, just hard rock. You know, I was like, hey, hard rock. Well, as, so. far, as, I, as far as I'm concerned, Perry is the see you next Tuesday in country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't believe you said that, man. <laughs> You're going to get censored. Oh, oh please. <laughs> All right, look, so who wants to give out the email address? Mark. Uh, Pe- uh, Lou, I, I, Lou, you give it up. <laughs> it is musicrelishpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, I, and also uh, musicrelishpodcast at WordPress. Uh, so, all right. Well, good night, guy. Oh, yeah. My name is Perry, and I'm saying good night. My name Lou. is Perry, I'm saying good night. Okay. Mark and I collided, so it's Perry, Mark, and Lou. And <laughs> want to know a Lou. 
Swan and Olu. Are we leaving with the song or are we just getting, are we going dead off? I'm, well, I'm going to play a little, our little closing theme. That's right. We have a closing theme. Cool. Yep. Good See night. you guys. See you. Land the plane. <laughs> Good night, guys.